today, if you'll join me in the letter to the Philippians. This is a book of the Bible in the New Testament. After the Gospels and after the Corinthian letter, uh, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And so, if you'll turn there to this small book in the New Testament, we're going to be preaching a um, standalone sermon today. Our series, One Another, has come to an end, and uh, hopefully over the summer, I'm planning a series uh, called Summer in the Psalms. Uh, We'll we'll take uh, these hot weeks of summertime uh, to go through some key uh, psalms together. Uh, I think uh, you'll really enjoy that. I'm enjoying it already, Uh, just getting to learn some of the depth that's there. But for now, uh, we're going to take a couple of weeks uh, for some standalone sermons just to kind of look ahead. Uh, We're getting ready for summer. A lot of people make plans for summer. And sometimes those plans go a different way, don't they? I mean, if you've, uh, you've lived much of life, you know that you can make great plans. And the life, life sometimes takes a different turn. What do we do when our plans change? What do we do when the times that we had set out and plotted a course ahead all of a sudden are interrupted or diverted? Uh, what's our attitude to be? This is what faced uh, this uh, church, the Philippian church, in chapter 1, verses 12 through 20, and we're going to look at that together today. A few weeks ago, actually, I guess it was in the winter, maybe January, February, I introduced uh, one of my kids. A weekend when it was just me and him, <clears throat> all the others were away for a trip maybe or something, I'm not sure. But we were there to, together alone and introduced him to an old movie that I thought was hilarious uh, back in my day. And uh, it was still hilarious, by the way. Uh, to me. Uh, he didn't think so, but uh, we watched it, and <clears throat> I laughed so hard. I don't laugh easily, and I especially don't get kind of uh, taken uh, by humor uh, very often, but this just, I mean, it just undid me in a sense, and I laughed uh, uh, really big uh, watching this movie, and then all of a sudden couldn't move my back or my neck uh, from laughing, y'all. I mean, and so I thought, well, this is old age, I guess, or a sedentary lifestyle, or stress of awful people, or, you know, just kidding. Uh, I don't, it's just old, getting old, right? And uh, for, for a, a week, you know, it had to be very tender in, in how I did anything from watching a movie. Uh, the next week, it snowed. Uh, you remember it snowed a little bit this winter, and I went down the woods with the kids uh, back here behind this building, and we were walking the trails, and I thought, man, I'm, I'm, one of them's not paying attention. I'm going to just smash them uh, with a snowball. And so I wadded up a snowball and got it ready, picked that thing up, and threw it, and it just pain in my knee, dropped me to the ground. Um, the other kids were around there, and nothing happened. There was no, I didn't stumble. There was, it was just me, you know, just something broke, and uh, I was on the ground. It was one of those pains that doesn't go away immediately. You know what I mean? Ever hit your head on something, and it takes a minute. You know, you, you got, you've just got to be there. And I was there on the ground, and the kids were very scared. Why? Because they were watching Dad's reaction. And, and the one that they trusted uh, in a, was in a moment of weakness. The one that was usually in control is, is out of control. Uh, what do we need to think about that? How do we need to react to that? Uh, when things change, right? When all of a sudden what seems secure is, is something's wrong there. And so 
we, we look today at a church who sees their apostle, Apostle Paul, the one who he loved them dearly, and his interactions uh, with them had been one of, of sacrifice, back and forth, both sides. I mean, this is a sacrificial, loving, personal relationship. And the apostle has suffered greatly for them, and now he is in prison and being held, being treated poorly, uh, out of control. The one that they had looked to now is weak. Things had changed all of a sudden. That wasn't their plan. He was going to come back and see us again. I mean, we had all this mapped out, and all of a sudden, there he is. What do we, what do we think about this? And so the apostle writes a letter back to them. He puts on uh, the face of strength, and he frames this in a perspective that, that would hopefully strengthen and elevate their hearts and show them how they ought to think now that this has changed. And so we're going to look at this together in uh, verse 12, and we'll read through verse 20 of chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really, or actually, you've got several different versions you're reading from probably, uh, really, or actually, or in fact, or has turned out. Uh, that's what the English translations render this. Has actually served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Are things breaking apart? Change, plans have changed, Paul. This is not what we thought. Uh, we see you hurting. Does this mean that our faith is, is subject to corruption, that it is subject to breaking apart, that, 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 that it wasn't true, and that, that, that it's not what we thought? He says, no, it, it's turned out that it's advancing the gospel, that my imprisonment is really for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So not only is it for Christ, but something even better has come out of this. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They were those who were um, ambitious, who were rivals with Paul, maybe who didn't think like he did or, or just didn't like the attention that, that some apostles had that they didn't have. And, hey, he's in prison. We're going to stick it to him. I mean, we're going to seize this vacancy, this opportunity to elevate ourselves. And in doing so, Paul says in verse 17, verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. He doubles down. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this is a term used for the Holy Spirit uh, only a few times uh, in the New Testament. It's Trinitarian. It, it reinforces what we know about the triune Godhead. Uh, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. What does he mean by deliverance there? 
Does he mean he, he just knows he's going to be released from jail, right? He just has that confidence. You know, y'all are praying and the Spirit of God is working. I know I'm going to be delivered out of this place. No, it cannot be. Don't read it that way. Don't read your life that way either. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. What? Whether by life or by death. So the deliverance there has to do with whether he lives, dies, is captive or free. Uh, The deliverance is something other than that. What an apostle we see here. And what an example we have here of of a hurting church that he truly and dearly loves looking down at their dad falling on the ground, grimacing in pain. What does this mean? You're in jail, Paul, and and all that we thought about our faith and about the Lord Jesus and about all that was going to happen in the future with this this, uh, gospel that we now have. I mean, we had talked big about this. We see you in jail. How should we feel? He frames this for them, and he frames it for us too. I want you to have three words of courage this morning, and hopefully encouragement as you launch into summer. Who knows in three months when we come back here and school started again and all the ministries are gearing up, who knows what will have changed in your life in the next year, what will be different. Let's look together at these words of courage. The first is this. When God changes your plans, be on the lookout for his. When God changes your plans, be on the lookout for his plans. We can't help but notice here that something happened that was unexpected. And we know that because the word used here is really or actually or as it turned out. You might say, hey, I went through Chick-fil-A and I bought food for the whole family they say oh I bet that was expensive you say well actually right it wasn't I know you would think that but I had a coupon that day right or somebody in front of me paid for mine say well did you you paid for the one behind you right no I didn't uh so but uh actually it's turned out differently than we expected there was a surprise here just the other day I was making oatmeal and I wanted to put some cinnamon in the oatmeal and some, uh, what's that stuff, the sweetener, uh, stevia. And uh, I got everything out, and it was nice and warm out of the microwave. I poured it all in just like I liked it and whipped it up and let it cool off, took a bite. It was disgusting. It was revolting. I thought, what in the world, you know? Uh, I went back to my cinnamon, and I looked at it. It said cumin, C-U-M-I-N. I don't even know. I never knew that was a thing, you know, but... Uh, I had used it. Uh, What I thought was going to be sweet, it tasted sour. In this case, in this case, what they thought meant uh, just demise. What just disheartened them and deflated them, what, what they thought was the end, really meant something different. It was a surprise. It actually has turned out in some other way. Now, when we walk through times of pain and of change, of heartache, I mean, when we've got a business plan and it turns out to be in bankruptcy, when we've got a home purchase and it falls through, when you're in a relationship that you just know is going to turn out the way you want and it doesn't, there is pain in that. 
And the apostle here is not writing to these, uh, to these uh, Philippians and saying, you guys are making too big of a big. He's not dismissing our pain. He's not saying, just get over it. Uh, and I want to do that this morning. I want to acknowledge that you've, you've got a plan for you and your spouse laid out onto the future and what retirement's going to be. And all of a sudden, a loss intervenes. Or all of a sudden, there's other responsibilities placed in your life uh, that demand of you. Or, or all of a sudden, something breaks. There's a pastor at our association, Pastor Ruben, uh, a great man in our uh, area, Hispanic leader. Uh, I saw him just two weeks ago at the associational meeting. I met, met him for the first time, shook his hand. Great time together. His wife was there. That same week, just a few days later, she was involved in a car crash, a terrible crash, was pinned in the car, had to be taken out of the, cut out of the car, uh, and then had to have both legs amputated. That's unthinkable. I don't I have a hard time getting my head around that, Lisa, as I think about what the, all, how that shakes them. And so as we come to this, please don't read dismissiveness into it. When Paul says, oh, it's, not a, it's working out for the good. Oh, Pastor Reuben. Oh, you know, oh, miss, miss, oh Mr., oh, Sir, oh, Ma'am. No, no, not at all. I think we can acknowledge the pain and the loss when our plans are changed, but also there is a greater truth here. There's a greater truth that when our plans don't work out, it's important for us to remember that there still is a plan. Just because our plans have failed, there still is a plan. What feels like a surprise to us never is to God. What feels like an end to us never stops God. What feels to us like a loss or a defeat may be God awakening us to a greater glory. If I weren't in prison, then guess what? The gospel wouldn't be going forth like it is. These brothers wouldn't be preaching as fervently, whether for good or for evil. They're doing it because I'm in prison. God is using this. God is working this. Uh, he, he, he's, he's changing things for his glory. The whole imperial guard, everyone who guards me in prison, all these strangers and enemies to me, they know that my imprisonment is for Christ. These guys who never would touch the gospel because they have to be here in the chains with me, they know. And God has a plan for that. When God changes your plans this summer, this year, this lifetime, it's going to happen. And when he does, don't just zero in on your hurt. Look for what God is doing, and there will be a plan there. But secondly, the second word of courage for when life changes directions is this. When God reverses your wisdom, be willing to trust his. Or when God silences your wisdom, be willing to listen for his. Verse 14 uh, reminds us this. We just talked about this. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold now to speak the word without fear. Paul's imprisonment, what do you think it was intended for? Why do you think they put him in prison? Well, a few reasons. One, to intimidate, to shut him up. And what effect do you think that was intended to have on those others who might preach the gospel? To shut them up. Hey, I'm a preacher too. 
And if they put Paul in prison, I better hush or I'm going to find myself in prison. But it actually had the opposite effect, effect of what his captors intended and the opposite effect of what the Philippians were afraid of. What was put in, God put something else out. The ingredients didn't add up. I saw an article this week of a golf champion. Any golf fans in here? Okay, okay, a few of you guys. I don't really follow golf, but I came across this article. It said uh, a guy named John Daly. Have I got that right? Y'all know him? Uh, just uh, anyway, you look up a picture of him and you'll see. But uh, anyway, um, golf champion John Daly, uh, Thursday, this Thursday at the PGA Championship, uh, somebody followed him, a reporter kind of just, you know, not, not with his permission, but just kind of watched him. All 18 holes of this round, uh, he played a perfect game, they said. They watched what he ate the whole day. And here's what he took into his body as he played this perfect game of golf. Uh, let's see if I've got it here. Yes, I do. He smoked 21 cigarettes as he played. He drank 12 Diet Cokes, and he ate six packs of peanut M&Ms. He drank zero water and took in nothing more than that, except for oxygen in between cigarettes. And, <laughs> and there, he, there he walked around the course in all his glory just and played a perfect game. That, that strikes us as funny because what? The ingredients, the input doesn't match the, the output. And Paul is saying the same thing here. What they put into this is not what they expected. Out. They did not expect out of it what God is actually doing. The ingredients were supposed to be fear and intimidation and abuse and imprisonment and silence. But in fact, God did something else altogether, and he does that in our lives as well. Our plans are set for our future, for our summer, for our schooling, for our careers, for your majors, for college, for your girlfriend. For all of it, it's set, and all of a sudden something comes in and wipes that off the board, and we expect disaster to come, and God says, listen, I know the ingredients felt like disaster, but out of that, I've got, I'm playing through. I've got a plan here. I've got something in store for you. God can do things that our ingredients don't add up to. And the question for you today is, do you focus on what was lost, on how you've been hurt? Can you not shake your, your eyes from the injustice and the unfairness? Or are our eyes open to what God may be doing in those new circumstances. Be encouraged. Your plans are going to change. And it's going to feel like the ingredients are adding up to sorrow and pain. But God is doing something. There is a wisdom in this. And when our wisdom would lead to discouragement and to disengagement, God's wisdom is able to uniquely funnel the details of our lives into his greater purposes, and he does it. Watch for it. Look for it. See what God does. But thirdly, when God removes your comfort, find ways to recognize his. When God removes your comfort, <clears throat> find ways to recognize his. Paul would have been 
totally defeated by this if he found his comfort and his satisfaction in the things that they took away from him. But he finds a greater comfort and a greater satisfaction in what the Lord Jesus is doing. He wasn't defeated by the discomfort of imprisonment. And he wasn't defeated by the double discomfort of his enemies heaping this on him because his comfort was for Christ to be honored. And this could be done no matter what happened, either by what? By life. And it could even be done if he lost it all by death. There's a good picture of this in a a silly cartoon movie that you're all familiar with called The Grinch or How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I love um, that movie. We watch it every Christmas and um, love to see how that Grinch, nasty-looking old thing, slithers around that town. I mean, just a hideous creature. But uh, a hideous creature, and he slithers around, and he takes everything. I mean, you know the story, everything. And when he misses a crumb, you remember, he comes back down the chimney, and he even reaches out with his furry fingers, and he takes that crumb. He takes the ornaments and the tree and the roast beast and he takes everything from them just knowing that the outcome is going to be absolute ruin for these Who's in Whoville as they come out on Christmas morning. You know this story. He looks up, he looks down from on high and he sees them gather around where the Christmas tree used to be. Nothing's there anymore. No presents, no nothing. They gather around and they begin what? They begin singing, right? Their comfort, their hope, their satisfaction apparently was elsewhere besides the things that were taken from them. This week, in fact, one Sunday ago today, out in California, a church called Laguna Woods, a man came in there, spent an hour with the people there, spent an hour in their prayer time and their Bible study and got to know them. And they loved him and they were courteous to him just like you would be, just like a church ought to be. Uh, And they welcomed him in. And during that hour, he spent time, you know, going here and there, maybe going to the bathroom or taking leave somehow. And instead of going to the bathroom, he was chaining the doors closed from the outside. And he had super glue with him and he was sticking it, gluing the locks shut so no key could fit in the doors that he couldn't chain. He would see that they were locked and glued, and then he began shooting and immediately killed someone. Luckily, the next shot was a misfire, and the church members, all senior adults, in fact, very senior adults, uh, the man who ended up uh, charging him and being shot and killed was the son of the former pastor, uh, and the son himself was near 60. Uh, as a, a very senior adult um, congregation. One of them rushed him and was killed immediately. Another one picked up a chair and slammed it into him. Then they took an extension cord and tied him up and held him there. They lost people who were dear to them and close to them. They were doing God's work and invited him in. And, 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 and all the questions that you might imagine in the aftermath of something like that. Lord, why? Lord, weren't we supposed to? Lord, didn't we do what was right? Uh, God, what did we do wrong? God, we support missions. God, we honor you. Lord, how did this happen? 
But today, in about three, about two and a half hours from now, guess what they're going to be doing? They're going to be back in that place. They're going to be praying together. They're going to be worshiping together. They're going to be fellowshipping together. Yes, through pain. Yes, through sorrow. Yes, through darkness. And if somebody comes in there to be a part of that worship, that time of fellowship, guess what they're going to do? They're going to welcome them in. They're going to show hospitality. They're going to love them. They're going to embrace them. Just like the Lord Jesus did to us when we were abject enemies in the hostility of our hearts toward him. They're going to do that on this morning. Right now, they're taking their showers and brushing their teeth. They're, they're putting on their, their clothes to go to that familiar place, stained with blood on this day. And they're going to do what God expects of them. And they're going to raise their voices to him. And they're going to showcase the risen Lord Jesus. Why? Because whatever that man took from them that day was not their comfort. It was not their hope. Whatever life takes from you this week, this summer, this life, this semester, in high school, in college, in retirement, as a mom, dad, or grandpa, whatever, whatever life takes from you, is that where your hope is anchored? Listen, when we're faced with the loss of what we thought were our sources of comfort, that's going to be hard. But it is a reminder that Christians live for something far greater and unfading, in fact, irrevocable. No one can take from you the hope of Christ. Well, what about if the worst happens, if I lose it all? What if you lose your life? Paul, what if you lose your life over there in prison? What, that's going to prove, certainly that's going to prove that all this was, was a, bunch of, a, a bunch of joke, right? Paul says no. No, absolutely not. Uh, here's the glory. I'm going to be delivered out of this. How delivered? Here's deliverance to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul's deliverance is that he would not be ashamed. That if he stands up in front of Caesar or Agrippa, whomever he goes before, if he has rendered his freedom, that he would stand there and preach boldly. And if they say one more word, sir, and your life is forfeit, what is deliverance in that respect? To speak boldly and to lay a total claim and to be anchored in to a singular source of hope, of comfort, and of deliverance. And that is that Christ would be honored in his body. Can Christ be honored in your circumstances? Matthew, I lost it all. Matthew, you don't know what a struggle it is to wake up some days with how my life has changed. Listen, God knows that. And God loves you dearly through it. But he has a plan and a purpose. And Christ can be honored where you live. Look for those ways. Look for him and see what God is doing. Are you ready for what's next this summer? Are you ready for what's next in your life with your family this year, this week? How are you holding up where you are now? Not even what's next, but how are you holding up where you are right now? I don't think Jesus would say this is easy. 
to the Apostle Paul or to us. I don't think he'd say, Paul, prison is easy. Don't worry about it. I don't think he'd say, Paul, that's no big deal, those people who want to hurt you. You know they're preaching so selfishly to hurt you. Don't just get over that, Paul. I don't think he'd say that to you either in your life. But I do think he would say to all of us, there is more. There is more. And I hope this morning you'll help God. You'll let the Lord Jesus help you find it. Let me pray for us. Just a moment, I'd be happy to extend to you an opportunity for response. You don't have to do this. You know that. And of course, if you've got something to say to the Lord, you can do that from right there in your seat. I think that'd be fine and appropriate. But for some in this place, it's probably true that you need to make your way to the front and move toward the Lord in a different way. Maybe bend the knee here at the altar for a time of private prayer. Maybe you need to seek forgiveness and, and offer repentance in regards to an attitude you've had towards something that, that life has taken from you, from a, for a change that the Lord has rendered toward you. Maybe you've shaken your fist at him, and maybe you've walked away and disengaged from that relationship, and you need to come back today and say, God, I'm sorry, but I need your help. I need you in this, God. Maybe you come today for salvation. This is a Jesus who gave his life for you on a cruel cross, a cross that he didn't deserve, but that we did. And that he took it for us and clothed us with the garments of righteousness, of salvation. So maybe this morning you'd come for the very first time and lay your life before him and say, God, I'm not equal to this task. This life has proved hard for me and my sin is more than I can bear. But Lord, I give it to you. I promise you Jesus will receive you. You come confessing his name and repenting of sin. You'll find you have a, an eternal father who never fails. Today, you're welcome to come for baptism or for church membership or for some other need. I'll be here to counsel with you if you like. Give you time of privacy if you need. Won't embarrass you. Just want to help you. Lord, thank you for the word of God, for trusting it to us. And God, thank you that we don't have to pretend that it's all good. Father, we don't, in order to be Christian, in order to be brothers and sisters, in order to fellowship, we do not have to put on a smile, a facade, a falsehood, that everything is just okay. Praise God for that. But Lord, in the pain, it is a certainty that your plan has not ended. That your glory is still at hand. Father, help us to lift our eyes from what we have lost, from what life has taken from us, and to what in that moment, Lord, you intend and in fact are doing. Help us to get on board with that. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing, and as we do, let me invite you to respond.